Culture Avidavid episode 146, Geektacular 2023. Hello and welcome to episode 146 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that takes a look at everything random in the world of popular culture, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. So, we usually don't get my Baltimore Comic Con episode until like a little bit later in the month of October because the Baltimore Comic Con for the last few years has been in late October. This year, it was around the weekend after Labor Day, and uh, it's a little late than usual for me getting this episode out because I usually record it right after, but it's been a very rough month without getting into too much. So, uh, But I did want to make sure that I talked about it because this is one of the pretty much regular features on this show. It's been here since the very, very beginning, the very first episode, as you all knew if you were listening last year and if you've been listening for the last 11 now. So I went to the con this year on Saturday, September 9th. Um, Brett was with me again. And I'm going to spend this episode just talking through some of the things that we uh, we did. Uh, I do have a segment with them on our way home like we usually do. And I do have a couple of creator interviews as well. But I'll start with the intro and I'll start with the usual sort of con prep stuff that I do around this time. So like I said, I've been I've been going to this convention for I think it's like 12 or 13 years now. And uh, every year since I started, I've been pretty much prepping the same way. I have this aging messenger bag that I carry around with me and it's been it's actually getting holes in it. I have to replace it at some point that I start, uh, that I I, I have as my limit as as things to bring for signatures. So I have this rule that I'm going to pack as much as I can carry. I'm not going to have a rolling cart or anything like that. And um, so that's what I did. And I I looked at the creators this year uh, for the con and was trying to do my best to not get caught up in spending an entire morning searching for signatures. The last few years, I've really enjoyed talking to the people I've met and I've gotten some really cool SIGs, but it eats up a lot of time in a place where we have to go by a certain point in the afternoon because we're only doing a day and we have an hour and a half drive back to Northern Virginia to my in-laws. So this year when I planned, I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to get three signatures, and I'm going to prioritize the people who I have either really, really wanted to get or have never been there before, and I'd like a signature. So the three on that list that were really important to me were Tom Mandrake, who uh, did the Kents and... uh, Firestorm in the the, the the back end of Firestorm. We also did the Spectre with, with John Ostrander, and uh, I had you know I, I met him and and I and I'll talk a little bit about what he signed. Uh, the second one who was of of you know utmost importance as well was John Bogdanov, who of course was 
penciler on Superman and the Man of Steel back in the 90s, and I have my Death of Superman trade and my Panic in the Sky trade and the Superman wedding special and a couple of other things that I've collected signatures on over the years and thinking, okay, I'm going to go ahead and get his uh, signature as well. And the third person who has never been at a convention that I've ever been to uh, was Chris Claremont. And um, that that was like my high priority list. And then they added a couple of other people, Mike DiCarlo, uh, for instance, who I'd never seen at a convention and who, of course, had been an inker on Batman and had been an inker on some of the Teen Titans stuff and was one of the inkers on Crisis on Infinite Earths. And um, then I, as, so then I added a fourth and then I started going through the list one more time in like August or so and saw some other names where I'm like, I have something by them or I have something by them. So I ended up with about six or seven signatures again. And every year I keep telling myself I'm going to limit myself to three. But, you know, I still had a really good time, right? And um, this this is an interesting con in terms of the signatures, and I'll get to why in a minute. But, you know, I did my usual planning. I, I printed out the map prior to the convention. I got a paper program when I got in there, and I highlighted and drew a path through where I was prioritizing and what stores I wanted to go to. That was a new thing. Usually I don't prioritize vendors and or like studios or something, but there were a couple of places I wanted to see that I knew off the top of my head. So I I highlighted those. And, um, you know, I could have accessed the program online. They said, you know, you can just scan a QR code and look at the online program on your phone. But I was like, you know, I, I really like that paper program. And this is something that I've come to realize over the years of going to this convention that the less online smartphone electronic I am on the floor of the convention, the better I can navigate things. So for instance, I, I, I got the paper program. They had a stack of them. I grabbed one for me and grabbed one for Brett and marked it the heck up. I take the phone, uh, the list off of my phone of back issues that I need, and I transfer it to a small notebook that I have. It was I got it as a swag thing from the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. It, it's a very small, like almost the size of a reporter's notebook, uh, little notebook that has the Comic uh, Code Authority steel approval on it. And um, every year I write down my want list in that book so that I don't have to take my phone out at every comic back issue bin booth. And if I drop it or lose it, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, And then, of course, cash. So my other con prep involves saving cash for months and months and months. I just take 40 bucks or so out of almost every paycheck. And I have a wad of cash that I walk into the convention center with. And I think that is, you know, that's that's my crazy spending money. It's it's easy to pay with cash at a lot of those places. I think there was one place where they didn't have any change left toward the end of the day, and I ended up paying with a card. But because um, remote card reading technology has gotten a lot better than, since I started going to the convention. But yeah, so so those sorts of things have were really really helpful. And nothing really added new to the con prep. There was a new parking garage that I used this time around because I I couldn't get a parking spot in the one that I usually use. But it was two blocks up on Howard Street near, you know, uh, there was one that tends to be used for like Orioles games. In fact, I think I'm pretty sure that I parked in that garage for an Orioles game back in college. Um, (laughs) So the mundanity of my con prep is... (laughs) is, um, you know, 
taking out a huge pile of books and, and, and chopping them down and, and fitting them to the bag and figuring out who I want to get signed and, and things like that. But I will say this as I look ahead to next year, I'm going, I am going to try to get less signatures, but I'm also going to try to limit the number of signatures I get from one person. And the main reason for that is that signatures are getting pricey. So I, like I said, I got a bunch of things signed. And in some cases, some of the people had pretty reasonable prices. Joe Staten and John K. Snyder III were two who you'll hear later in this episode because I had them sign something and I asked them about it. They actually weren't charging. It was just a tip jar for the uh, the Hero Initiative and you know throwing a few dollars in there. I think Tom Mandrake gave you the first one free and then the others were like a couple of dollars or something. David Mack, I think they were about five bucks a piece. Claremont's were 15, which um, wasn't too bad. I did reduce the amount. I had six or seven things. I was like, I'd like to get him to sign these things. And what I did was bring it down to three so that I would spend 45 bucks instead of like close to uh, close to a hundred dollars in signatures. Cause I'm as much as I love the X-Men and his X-Men run, I don't actually have any of it in single issue. I have a couple of trades and I have the essential volumes. I, I read the whole thing over the course of the last year or two, but um, he was my first person on my list for a signature and um, we, I got in line. Like I got in. I told Brett, you know, you go do what you want to do. I'm going to get in line for this one creator and see how it is. And I got in line, and I was about tenth or eleventh in line, and just got in there and stood there. And the guy in front of me and I had just a lot of different conversations. So did the guys behind me. And by the time we hit, you know, he took about maybe 15 minutes to show up. By the time he actually showed up, he was, the line was like down the hallway to like the concession stand. It was, it was crazy. And and nobody was, and nobody was moving. The only, if you were in the back of that line, you were going to be there probably all day. Uh, The only other line that could beat that was Brian Michael Bendis. And he didn't even show up for like, I don't know, hours. And like, if you're standing in line for Bendis for that long, you know, it's, you have to pick your battles, right? So Last year, I had wanted to get Walter Simonson's signature on some things. And there are. There's like two or three things I really want him to sign. They're old things. But the line is always crazy. So um, I decided not to do the the Simonsons this year and, and was on Claremont's line. And the thing just wasn't moving. And because, you know, he'd sign and somebody would bring a big stack and they'd talk to him for a while. And then talked to him. And, and so there was just a lot of, and he, a lot of talking, a lot of talking, a lot of talking. The guy in front of me had, I think a hundred issues, maybe 50, maybe like somewhere between 50 and a hundred X-Men comics for him to sign. And we were all looking at this guy going, you know how much this is to, to pay. And he said, and he, he told me that Claremont had lost a bunch of his comic collection in, I think, a fire or flood or something. And he had communicated with him or knew him somehow and said, I have doubles of much of what you were missing. 
I will give them to you. So in exchange for this guy signing uh, a bunch of these comics, it seems with Claremont, this guy giving him all these comics, Claremont signed like, like pretty much like almost his entire run. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that was pretty cool. And we had a really cool conversation, me and like three or four other people, they were showing, this is my wall of, of slabbed books and stuff. And we were talking about different things we liked, you know, I'm, I'm nowhere near in the league of a collector as some of these guys. I think if you classify me as a comics fan or in that sort of realm, I'm probably more of a reader these days than a collector. But it is fun to see people show off collections and talk about them, especially when you go to a place like this. I don't think I've ever met a mean person there. So it was fun to sit and talk on the Chris Claremont line. I was having conversations with the guy who was running the line. Claremont did a great thing and had his one of the people who was running his booth with for him come around with a with a remote card pay machine and take your money if you were if you were like I am going to stay in line she asked she would ask like, how many signatures are you getting you tell her you give her the money or you, you swipe your card and you get a receipt and that was Probably one of the second coolest things I've seen for a signature, the, the coolest thing or the, the best thing I've ever seen was the year of 2013 where George Perez had that ticket system. And so you could walk around the con and you had your ticket and you'd check to see where you were on the ticket. And that's how I got his signature and the Wonder Woman sketch that year, which was just amazing. Um, so this is really cool. And I uh, waited for 90 minutes in Chris Claremont's line. And I think that's probably the next to Perez and uh, really, really next to Perez. That's the longest I've ever waited for a single creator. Um, But then I don't think I'll ever have the chance to meet him again. I don't know if he'll be keep coming back to the con. I don't have anything. I really need him to sign again because I had him sign three things. Uh, The first was my copy of the X-Men and new teen Titans which I've already had signed by both Walter Simonson and Louise Simonson. So, and I think at this point, the only people I would need to have signed would be if Tom Morzachowski is alive and attends a con, then that's probably it. Cause I think Glennis Ween uh, passed away. Um, and maybe if I want Jim Shooter to sign, cause I'm, you know, cause he was editor in chief, but really I've gotten like the three main, three of the main people, Terry Austin. If he, if Terry Austin ever makes a con appearance, that's another person I'd probably get. Uh, the other thing I had him sign, and I had a number of people sign, is that is the book Leaping Tall Buildings. I've mentioned this book a couple of times over the years. It is a book of interviews with comic creators, and I think I first got it in like 2011, 2012. So I've taken it with me to every single one of these conventions. And I had Claremont sign it, and I had David Mack sign it. And I had David Mack sign two issues of Kabuki that I have that I found um, funny enough in a cheap bin of the Caliber series, one of his original series. And and so he signed uh, two issues of that. I got two really cool stories out of those two. One of them was Mack's story about how he is essentially the person who is responsible for Marvel Comics hiring Brian Michael Bendis. Um, Mac was doing Kabuki over at Caliber. Bendis at, at that point was doing penciling and writing. I think he was writing like Jinx and Goldfish and Fire and uh, uh, would eventually do Torso. And, you know, they were making – this was back in the early late 90s, early 2000s. They were 
becoming, especially Mac was becoming a darling in the indie set. So Marvel hired him to do Daredevil and he had been writing and he said, uh, he talked up Brian Michael Bendis and they were like, well, we don't like his pencils, but they hired him as a writer to write Daredevil. And that's essentially where, how Bendis became like capital B Bendis with, with, you know, the mainstream stuff. Um, I had my first encounter with Bendis's writing was 2002. A friend of mine loaned me all of his caliber indie stuff, um, including like Fortune Glory. And I think I read some of Powers. I read his Daredevil run as well and like really, really liked it. Some of it, some of his stuff got, did not age very well. I was never a huge fan of his Avengers or, um, and Ultimate Spider-Man. I liked some of it and didn't like others, but you know, and I was not a big fan of his Superman run um, up to a point, although I, I did enjoy his Legion of Superheroes. So me and Bendis have a complicated relationship. Um, but that being said, but I thought it was interesting to hear him talk about it, like, you know, how he how he's been friends with this guy for, you know, and, and he brought his friend over with him and, and, it be, and it became like what, you know, what it was. By the way, David Mack is like pumped. Like, seriously, look at this guy. Like, you know, he does not skip arm day. Um, and I had come to over him from Chris Claremont and it's funny, the guy who was in front of me in the Claremont line was in front of me in the David Mack line. He's like, we have to stop meeting like this. And I said, yeah, but at least he only had a couple of books to sign and talking to Mack was cool, but talking to Claremont was really fascinating because the one thing, the third thing I had him sign aside from the X-Men and Titans, and he thought the leaping tall buildings book was pretty cool as far as the signatures and things was Shadow Moon. So Shadow Moon is a novel he wrote with a story by George Lucas that was going to be, that was essentially a part of a three novel series that is a sequel to the movie Willow. I had first seen this book in Borders back when it first came out and kind of missed it. I don't know why I didn't pick it up and eventually picked it up in paperback, and I have all three of them. I had loaned them out uh, years ago. In fact, I, the copies that I have are second copies for me. I had bought them at used bookstores or on eBay. And I had the whole trilogy with me, but I decided to only get the first one signed because it was just, again, 15 bucks a signature, and this is a beat-up paperback copy. But I did ask him about the books, and I said, you know, can you just tell me a little bit of how these came about? He's like, oh, I remember this. And he started talking about how He'd been essentially tapped uh, for for the Willow project. I asked him if he got a chance to meet George Lucas. He said, "Oh yeah, I went out there. You know, I found they found a hole in his schedule and they they got me out there because this would have been the very early '90s." He said, "Where his it was between Willow and like the the what the Indiana Jones stuff from the early '90s." So by the time Claremont was like full on writing the books and stuff, Lucas was heavily into the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. So uh, that's around that time. And he said that they sat down and they plotted it out and everything. And he went home and wrote it. And he was told by the Lucasfilm people that he could not use most of the characters from the movie. You can hear the frustration as voice is telling me that. So he wrote this story where you have Willow and you have a Lord Dannon and he sent them the the draft or whatever it was. And they're like, well, where's all the characters? He's like, well, you told me I couldn't use them. It was a back and forth. So if you've ever read these books, you will notice that he basically kills. This isn't that much of a spoiler. It happens in the first third of the first no- of this novel, Shadow Moon. He kills off Mad Mardigan and Sorsha 
And, you know, those characters, he leaves Willow, uh, kind of gets a new name named Thorn Drumheller. He leaves his wife to go on this adventure and we don't really see her. And, and he, he takes Allura with him and the brownies are making an appearance as well. And they're with him too. But it's basically this sort of uh, weird spinoff that like as if they couldn't get anybody back. And it, I read, I've reread the first novel recently. I'm going to be reading the second and third. I, I do intend to do a Willow centered episode. And I have to tell you, I'm annoyed that Disney plus took the, the series off because I never got a chance to watch the sequel series. I made the mistake of thinking, Oh, it'll be there. I'll go watch it when I get the chance. And it disappeared. The story of the shadow trilogy here, it, it, doesn't fully work as a Willow sequel. I do remember enjoying the book as it is. So it was, but it was fun to hear him talk about it and get him to sign it because I was truly able to bring something that he probably did not sign somebody else's copy that day, and he probably wasn't expecting to sign it. Um, I did meet Tom Mandrake, who signed the Firestorm. And I think Nyad, who's who pages from the 1990 binder edition, just like I have with a lot of other things, and also signed my copy of the trade of the Kents. So now I have almost everybody who worked on that signing it because John Ostrander and Tim Truman have both signed my copy as well. And then he, I had an issue of, of one of the earliest things he did for DC. It was issue number one of New Talent Showcase, uh, a book that I've gotten like four or five issues of out of cheap bins and grab bags and, and 99 cents and stuff like that. And I'm just like kind of fascinated by it. So it might be one of those random weird uh, series I, I collect up from DC in the 80s, but it was a very, very early piece that he did, and I can't remember what it was, but he signed that for me. And we had a very brief interaction because I was going to be heading to lunch, and you know he had was in the middle of sketching something, and he interrupted sketching to to uh, sign my thing. So I really appreciated that. But one person whose signature I did not get, and I really wanted to, was uh, John Bogdanov. He was sitting at his table with his wife, and I was only about three or four people deep in the line, but but there were people ahead of me who were getting sketches done, and he was meticulous in his sketching. So he was penciling something, and then he was going to be inking, and he was inking, penciling and inking, inking this Hulk drawing, and it was gorgeous. But by that point, I had already stood in line for 90 minutes for Chris Claremont, and I'm just standing there and standing there and standing there. Um, I think it went like 15, 20 minutes went by and I was just like, you know what? I have to, I have to make a decision. Do I really, I really want to go look for comics. I really want to go shopping. I want to have lunch with my kid. I want to go down Arliss Alley and stuff like that. So I think I'm going to just cut bait and hopefully he'll come back some other time, you know, and then I'll, I'll make sure that I'm like first in line for him when I do. So I did not see him. But I did see two creators who I have talked to before and I have met before. One was Joe Staten, and the other was John K. Snyder III. Each of them signed for me a copy of a classics illustrated story they wrote. So in the very early 1990s, First Comics got the license and they put together prestige format editions that were completely new. So they were 
old books and stories, but new contemporary artists doing them. Over the course of the last few months, I've picked up a few because I had come across one in a in a bin at my LCS. I have at home Moby Dick, written and done by uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, which is freaking amazing and gorgeous, and I hope I get to meet him one day to have him sign it and ask him about it. Dean Motter, I think, did The Rime of the Ancient Mariner by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, which is a favorite poem of mine. Then there was Snyder, and Snyder did Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and a Hero Initiative booth had a bunch of copies of it. She, the, the woman in the booth said that they uh, had found like a ton of them and bought them all up, and they thought it was really cool. And I mentioned that, you know, I, I had I, I met him earlier that day, so I bought it off of them. But the thing I had Snyder sign was The Secret Agent by Joseph Conrad, a Conrad book that I didn't know exists because my association with Joseph Conrad is Heart of Darkness. So I did get a chance to talk about it with him. I missed a panel he had about it, actually. It was just, again, with all the running around I do, I didn't get the chance to go to a panel. I can't remember if the panel was that day or another day anyway. But he was gracious enough to give me a few minutes to talk about him adapting Joseph Conrad's The Secret Agent. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to go to your panel. Uh, what was your inspiration for actually choosing this as a project for the... Well, uh, okay, so I had uh, been working with uh, the first comics on uh, uh, Classics Illustrated. I had done the uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde adaptation. Okay. And when I finished that up, they, uh, I actually that was suggested to me as a uh, possible choice. A few books were suggested to me. That intrigued me because I was very intrigued at that time in my career by Joseph Conrad from uh, The Heart of Darkness. Yeah, uh, that was which the only I thought thing might I was be familiar. kind of a neat yeah. book to adapt. And I was not aware at that time that he had written a book about espionage uh, that was written, you know, around the turn of the. It was 1907 when it came out. So when I read the premise and uh, and that it was Conrad. I was just immediately, and you know, immediately hooked uh, at the concept of being able to adapt. I think it's considered one of the very first spy novels, so That's, that yeah. made it really appealing. I had know. no idea this existed until I found this at my comic shop. Yeah, so so I'm gonna go read the Conrad. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I no, it's Heart of Darkness it's a uh, it's you know Conrad's pretty dense reading. Okay. You know, yeah, it's oh, very know. He- very very heavy, <laughs> but yeah. but it's well worth it. And All it's right. I, and you know I think that. I think what's really fascinating about the book is, is that, uh, you know, I think he wrote it, frankly, and, and kind of it's kind of almost like a dark satirical. I think like a lot of his work is, you know, yeah. and uh, I think there's a lot in it that is really timely. You know, it's kind of really interesting to read this and see that there are some aspects of human behavior that just don't change. Yeah. You know, and I think that Conrad was really good at, at observing these sort of things. So. So, well, thank you. Yeah, I no problem. Yeah, and thanks for bringing that by. I thanks. appreciate it. Thanks Hope you enjoy it. I will. And then there was Joe Staten. And I've interviewed Joe Staten like two or three times in this show at the convention. I always seem to find something else to bring to him. And his was an adaptation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And it's gorgeous. I now have like four or five adaptations of this thing in print. Uh, I may have to do like an episode about it beyond what I've already done over on Required Reading. What was cool, though, is that not only did he talk about his adapting A Christmas Carol, he talked about the fact that he was in charge of the whole thing. So he talked about how it came about at First Comics back in the early 90s. So this is Joe Staten talking about Classics Illustrated. 
Um, how did this come about? Do you remember? Well, I, I was, um, well, uh, about three years I was the art director for First Comics in, oh, really? in, uh, in Chicago. And actually, there are memorial panels uh, at this show uh, mm -hmm. of, uh, remembering First Comics. So, uh, toward the end of my run, uh, the uh, First Comics picked up the license for the uh, Classics Illustrated. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was, uh, I was up for doing something at, a, at some point. Our, our beloved publisher, uh, Rick Obadiah, Rick came out of his office and said, somebody needs to do Christmas Carol. Would you like to do Christmas Carol, Joe? So uh, I, I said, sure, that's great. I like I like the whole thing. And my, my take on the Christmas Carol, it was, was it was a ghost story. I wasn't doing it sentimental. It was uh, it was supposed to be scary. Uh, it, uh, so my approach was uh, EC Comics by way of Bernie Wrightson. So uh, I, I think it's some of my best work, and I'm, I'm really proud of it. So I really I, enjoyed it when I read it. Um, I had never seen it before, and I saw that copy. And and it's, it's absolutely a straight adaptation. There's uh, nothing that's not in the original story. No, uh, I think it's my, it's probably my favorite Charles Dickens story in general, so I really have always loved it. And, and the way I adapted it, I had a, I had a paperback copy of the uh, Christmas Carol, and I went through with a marker and marked off how many pages of uh, Charles Dickens would I need for a page of comics. Oh, that's cool. And so, and it worked. And so I tell people that uh, Charles Dickens is one of my favorite collaborators. Nice. Very nice. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. So that was, that was how we did that. Okay. Very cool. My last signature was Mike DiCarlo. I didn't get an interview with him, but I did get a few things signed. I was so glad to get my Crisis on Infinite Earths hardcover signed. So now I have Wolfman, Perez, Ordway, and Mike DiCarlo on that. It's so cool. I did get issue... I got my Death in the Family, my old beat-up copy of a Death in the Family that I had Denny O'Neill signed one year, signed by Mike DiCarlo. And... Two other comics, uh, Tales of the Teen Titans 44, which is the first appearance of Nightwing. He was one of the inkers on that, as well as Batman number 416, which was a is a personal favorite of mine. So I got those signed, and then after all that, I went shopping. So... One of the things I love about shopping at the convention is that there is just an enormous stuff, amount of stuff to buy. I deliberately did not buy any posters or prints this year because I just I don't have the space for them in the house anymore. The walls are full of stuff in various rooms. There's thing in frames sitting on the floor that need to be hung up. I mean, it's it was getting kind of out of hand. So I promised I wouldn't buy any posters. But so that left more stuff for comics and trades. Get a ton of trades this time around. I, I was really sticking to comics and not really interested in trade paperbacks as much. I mean, I was really determined to fill holes in my comic collection that I have on my want list, as opposed to grabbing random stuff. Of course, I did grab grab random stuff, but uh, I bought Brad a couple of things, and one thing that 
I uh, did get to get was pins, like lapel, like like lapel pins, like the ones that you buy, you know, like at Disney World. And in fact, I have been collecting these Epcot Center, old school Epcot Center logo pins that Disney put out years ago. And I'm I'm down to like maybe three or four that I have to get. And I got one of them. I think I got the Living Seas at or the World of Motion at the uh, at the convention. I was looking for it because last year I got a couple of others. And then I bought a New York Giants Super Bowl pin, so that was pretty cool. But uh, didn't buy a lot in Artist Alley, maybe a couple of comics and stuff. And I got a couple of books that looked interesting. I went to Andrea Rose Washington's table and bought another copy of the uh, Ellen Dill novel, which I bought a few years ago, as well as the second book. So next year, I think I'm going to get the third one. And then I just went and bought comics. I hit like three different booths. One was a dollar a book booth, and I just grabbed what I could find and found interesting. And then there was like a pay the cover, pay the price on the thing, you know, just kind of a typical back issue bin. And then I had a $3 bin uh, place. And I found that since I had this wad of cash that I was more willing to pay a little bit more than I would at like my local comic store. So when I go to my LCS, I'm looking for like 99 cents, $1.99. When I go to there, I'm like three bucks yeah, I, I even bought because Brett had said had seen this um, issue of Amazing Spider-Man that was the end of the Carnage storyline. Was like, hey, that's you know, it's a like a key Carnage issue, and it was like fifteen. He's like, oh, it's fifteen bucks, you know. So I went and I uh, snagged it, and I was like, you know, fifteen dollars. I have the money on me, so I went ahead and I bought it for them, and then. I just dove into these bins of this place and I got a couple of issues of Eric that I was missing. I finished the prestige format Legends of Tomorrow Spirit series that came out a few years, uh, maybe 10 years ago or so, uh, that I had the first three issues of. I got a Who's Who in the Legion issue, got a couple of issues of Hex that I was looking for. I finished the Semper Fi series that I've been looking for, a couple of issues of the old DC series Time Warp, the sci-fi series, some Gru, some... Uh, did not find the one issue of King Conan or Conan the King that I'm missing, which is driving me nuts. Uh, but I, I got ended up getting plugging a few holes in my collection, and that was really cool. It's been a while since I've been that like good at the show where I've been able to get so much that I wanted. And then I picked up a few things that were random, and like, oh, this looks pretty cool, and and grabbed it at uh, you know just for the heck of it because I'd never seen it before. But that's one of the fun things to buy. And then I bought from Third Eye Comics a comics mystery box. And you're going to hear me open that comic mystery box in my going home segment with Brett, which will be coming up right after this. Stick around. Hey, kids, comics. It was the dawn of a new age of comic book podcasting. Hey, kids, comics was a dream given form. A place where two generations of comic book fans could work out their differences, peaceably. It was a humorous place where nothing was sacrosanct and it was our last, best hope for joy. But all things end. But from endings can come new beginnings. This is the return of a comic book podcast. The year is 2023. The name of the show is Hey Kids Comics. Michael and Andrew are back with an all-new look at old comics and all old looks at new comics. You can go home again. 
Hey Kid Comics monthly from Two True Freaks and wherever you get your comics related podcasts. Hey Kids Comics! So we're on our way home. Um, we, you know, got there at, at Rope Drop and then we stayed a little later than usually. We would leave around three. We left a little closer to four. By the time we actually got out of Baltimore, it was four o'clock. So we left, I think, you know, the convention 345 and yeah. parking garage, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, we had a pretty successful uh, convention there. I, I actually ended up buying some stuff that I was like surprised that was like, yeah, spending a couple more dollars on some comics than I usually would have because they had what I wanted. And, um, you know, in a couple of cases, it was worth the price and stuff. And so um, I'm going to talk. Uh, you know, I've talked about that on my own segment of the show. So what you, what did you come looking for and what did you find that you were looking for and what did you find that you caught your eye that you didn't expect it to? I was um, mainly looking for three things. I was looking for cool art and artist Sally, as I always am. Um, it's one of the main reasons I come to Comic-Con. I was looking for D&D stuff. And surprisingly, there was a lot of it. There wasn't a lot. Last year, there was like maybe one or two booths. But this year, there were like three booths trying to sell me dice. Uh, the dice may have been a few more dollars than I wanted to spend on dice, but they were dice. Yeah. Um, and I came looking for Carnage comics. Um, specifically, the Carnage Reigns Omega and Red Goblin number five. Because that would round out my collection of Carnage Reigns. I found the Carnage Reigns Omega. I did not buy it because it was a variant for $15, and that's oh, a bit more yeah. than I want to spend on one comic. But I found some, I went in the dollar bins. I went on my usual quest of finding things that look either A, dumb, or B, interesting. Um, and I found things in both categories. Um, I got some cool stuff. I didn't walk away with a Funko Pop. Neither of us did, actually. Yeah. I, You know what? I think we both have a lot so many Funko Pops and we don't like you have a lot I have I have a small collection at the, my, my classroom but it really yeah. wasn't like it wasn't a priority and, yeah and such um one thing that I did see that was cool that I don't think I've shared with you yet they had um the Warhammer like action figure scale unpainted figures for sale for like 20 bucks and I almost picked one up but um because they had the versions they didn't have at the comic store but I realized I could just order it if I really wanted it that badly. I have enough painting projects as is. But um, I found some D&D stuff. I got a mystery set of dice, which I haven't opened yet. I got a D6 that has sides that say not a mimic and mimic. And I'm going to roll this when my players open the chest. Um, I got a little deck of cards for creating characters and a book of like preset dungeons. Mm -hmm. um, and I got a few trades also about one about D&D, I think. Yo, uh, you got the, what, was that like a custom module or something that I that we picked up from that one guy? That was, um, it was almost like a source book where it was a bunch of pre-written dungeons and like it was like just quickly having them so you can grab them and then like modify them how you want. Okay. Right. Um, it looked really interesting, so I thought I'd grab it. It was like 15 bucks, I think. Um, and then I got a trade, I can't remember what it was called, I think Sidekicked, um, where it was um, about all the sidekicks in a city going on strike 
and the villains taking advantage of that. And then I just sort of went on my own little quest for art. I got some stickers. I got, um, I didn't end up getting any prints because I have too many, I have more prints than we have wall space. That was the thing with me too. I, I didn't even actually look. I, there was one booth that was selling some posters and prints and I almost looked through them, but then I was like, no, you know what? And a lot of them were like repeated people. Yeah. Travel, the travel prints that we've gotten before, um, Angela Kendrick, who did the Spider-Man Carnage and Venom triptych that you have, and the yeah. Battle of Wins that I have, and the two that bought. So, like, she was there. So, there were a lot of people we've seen or bought from, like, two or three times before. But you're right. We have more post art than we have wall space. And then we stopped by a lot of booths that had, like, a QR code where you'd sign up for, like, their newsletter or whatever, yeah. and you could spin a wheel or... At one booth, you could draw a card, and whatever card you drew corresponded to the prize you got. I got one of the lowest prizes, I think, which was a sticker, and Dad won the game that they were selling. Yeah, and uh, we actually interviewed the person who made the game. What was the name of the game again? Last Fish. All right. So with an exclamation point. And here's my interview with them. So, so I just won the game. So what is... What is the game? Because they were really interested in it. They wanted me oh. to come over and get another raffle. All so. right, all right. You're putting, my, you're putting my spiel to the test yeah. here. I'm not good at the spiel. Last Fish is a two to six player card game. Uh, battle Royale, last man standing kind of deal. You select a champion card at the beginning of the game. Each one has a unique card that's already a card in the deck because everyone draws from the same main deck. You happen to draw that card while you're playing that champion. It gets a boosted up version. The other main part about it is it's a bit of a journey. There's something we call the encounter deck, which is the second deck you play next to it. Each one of them is a card each player draws once per turn. It can affect the whole game state, you, your opponents, so you never know exactly what's going to happen. It's kind of like a life happens to you sort of thing. Uh -huh. And a lot of the encounter cards and cards in the game are based on areas in the world. This is our world map right here. I know okay. you can't see it on the podcast, but yeah, it's, fine. it's right here. Um, we also have an animated version of this map on our website. You can click on literally every location over like 50. Oh, cool. There's like a bunch of information about each one. Uh, the game sort of came from the lore that we were developing about the world. We also have an ongoing story about the world called the Book of Ponds, which with our main character, Bert, which is that Comic-Con exclusive card I gave you, which uh -huh. is also playable in the game. Ah. Yeah. But the goal of the game is to... Uh, Survive the best you can, use items to defend yourself, use attacks and use instant cards, which are like the aha cards you can use. Anything to get ahead and survive. All right. So uh, if somebody's interested in, uh, in looking it up, buying it, where can they find it? Um, lastfishcardgame.com or our regular website, thegreatpond.xyz. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So you, you won that, and that's like a $20 value. Yeah. They was, had the deluxe edition was like 50 which uh, for, for a game you'd never played yeah. is a little too much. I mean, you could have won that, but... Had I won the deluxe edition, won the deluxe yeah, edition. I won the regular game. So that's yeah. pretty cool. That was pretty yeah. cool. That was a... You, spin, you, you scan the QR code, you spin the wheel... No, you scan the QR code, and then you put all the... Um, the card charts yeah. out on the, on the table like a blackjack dealer in Vegas. And you picked one, and the color of the card corresponded to the prize you got. And I picked green, and it was that was it. So that was pretty yeah. cool. That yeah. was really exciting. Because um, I did, I, I was just going to buy the game probably if we didn't win it. But I was like, yeah. hey, I have a second email in the form of my father. Let yeah, me go get yeah. him. Um, I know you were looking for signatures and stuff. Yes, yeah, so I've talked talk about that too. So, But 
we did get some mystery stuff. So well, aside from what you the mystery stuff, was there anything else that you got that was uh, that was really cool? Um, I got. Uh, like I said, that D&D thing. I visited Claydroid again, uh-huh. which was one of my favorite vendors from last year. Um, who I bought a little Plague Doctor from him last year, and this year he had a little Gachapon machine where you could pay, I think it was $5 or $8, depending on the type of figure you wanted, and you would get a random little figure. So I got a slime figure from him. Um, he's got demon horns. He looks very angry. He's great. Um, I'm trying to remember what I got. Uh, I was scoping out the cosplay weapons. None of them caught my eye. Mm-hmm. Stuff I was like, I could probably make that if I really wanted it. Yeah. Um, I was looking at some of the D&D stuff. There was this one booth selling Mimic dice yeah. boxes. I got a bag that looks like Kirby to store my dice in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. Cool. And yeah, and then we, we did have some people with cosplay. I actually ran into one by accident as we were trying to get some work because I just wasn't paying enough attention. Yeah. I felt kind of bad about that. But yeah, we got some, some pit photos and there'll be photos of some of the stuff you saw and some of the cosplayers on the on the show notes. Um, Alright, so you have a couple of mystery things that I you do. need to open now and I then... I think I have two. Alright, so why don't you go ahead and tell me what, you're, what you are opening and then what's inside. Alright, so right now I'm opening a dice like mystery D&D dice pack they're going to be plastic. I think it was like five bucks. It's just a golden bag. And, you know, I liked the dice that the seller was selling, but I didn't feel like going fully in on a set. So yeah. I was like, you know, let me do a mystery thing. That'll give us something to do. All right. I'm opening it now. They are... Oh, this is nice. I think I... Admittedly, I think I have this set, but in a different font. Okay. It's like an orange swirly set with an almost like spiky, spooky font. Mm. Very Halloween themed. They're less rounded than my other set, and I think they're a different shade of orange too. They're a bit darker, so more pumpkin themed. Very nice. Cool. Um, and now I'm opening the Metakeshi Series One Marvel Comics All right. thing, and we got this from spinning the previews wheel. Yeah. So the diamond previews has a booth there and um you know for previews world and they have a wheel you can spin to win a win a prize and sometimes it's a t-shirt sometimes it's a figure or something one says shop local which i don't understand what they were giving away there i think that was just telling you to do that and i think it was just random random yeah and there's mystery and um i got mystery so we both spun it. I got mystery, but he gave me a Earth Two Wonder Woman figure, yes. which is you know, fortuitous because um, we didn't get anything for mom. So now we got something for mom. Yeah. Um, this. So this is what it looks to be mini lunchboxes. I can only see the collect them all photo, and then everything else is in what I believe to be Japanese. Okay. And I can't read Japanese. And what's on the packaging? Because you don't want to damage uh, the packaging. Venom and Spider Man. Are on the packaging. It is sealed shut with tape. You, I think they gave you the Wonder Woman figure because they were running out of stuff near the end. Yeah, like they had a, they had a giant baby Yoda uh, pop actually. That uh, would have been cool to win, but the Wonder Woman figure is good. All right, here, what are you doing? Okay. It is a lunchbox. Uh, oh, it's a Spider Man one. Oh, cool. It's like a mini Spider Man lunchbox. Is there anything inside of it? There's something inside of it. It is a. Oh, I think this is an eraser. 
Rogues, I believe. Oh, an eraser with yeah. uh, let me see it. Oh, with the cover to Spider Man number one. Yeah. The that's Tom what's McFarlane on Spider Man number one. Yeah. Like a little orange lunchbox with that. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's what's on the lunchbox. I'll have to get a picture of that later. Yeah, it's very nice, very cute. Alright. I do I, I like this one. They did have a Venom one that was pink. Uh which is cool, but this is um I got the thing that was on the box, which yeah. is cool. But yeah. That's very cool. I didn't know these existed before. Um, Discount Con, I'm gonna be honest. Um, and then we have your big. Yeah. All right, so for the first time ever, I actually bought a mystery box. Third Eye Comics was doing a, yeah, there was a mystery envelope of 20, like 20 random comics for five bucks or something like that, but this is the mystery box. 25 random comics, three random variants, one graphic novel, and possibly, uh, one out of 25 has a 25 dollars gift card, so Brett's going to open the box for me because I am driving. I mean, granted, they're probably just offloading a bunch of extra inventory. All right, what is in here? Is it all right? Oh, it's, 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 it's not it's, over. It's packed with Christmas wrap as, as like... Okay. All right, so there's 20... So there's... Okay. Our first variant is um, Book of Death. Aha. Uh -huh. Wait, that might not be a variant. That's a no, Valiant. For, no, it's for Valiant. It's a Death comic. Uh, yeah, that was a crossover that they did years ago. Now we have um, Deadpool number one, Marvel Now variant edition. All right. It's actually Third Eye comic themed with a bunch of eyeballs. Uh, okay. Um, Legends of the Dark Knight number one. All right, that's the Future State crossover, I think. Yeah, I figured they were going to be a bunch of random recent comics. So. Commanders, Commanders in Crisis um, by Steve Orlando and Davide Tinto. Okay. Um, also issue one. It's right. nice that it seems like most of these are issue one. Never mind. Oh, we got like 25 <laughs> other comics to go. go. I'll go a bit faster. Titans United issue three. All right. Um, watch Titans on HBO Max. That's uh, what it's at. I've heard that show is not very good. Um, Demon Days X Men number okay. one. I can't tell if this is a variant or not. I don't know what the normal. The War of Jokes and Riddles, DC Universe Rebirth, Batman number 32. All right. Way of X number two. Okay. From Marvel. It's for the new X-Men thing they've been doing. The Silencer, the new Age of Heroes from um, DC Universe number one. Okay. Ooh, Superman. Uh, DC Universe Reboot, Rebirth, Superman number 18. Superman Reborn Part 1. Alright. Wow, this next one looks interesting after this one. Uh, Legendary Star-Lord. This is actually a $10 comic. This is a variant. Yeah. It's, this it's, is one of those things where it was, it was a $20... $20, I think? I think yeah, $19.99. And so I'll have to add up the, car, the, car, the cost of all this to see what I, the value that I got. Tankers number 3. Oh, it's got a bunch of dinosaurs on the cover. Oh, interesting. Okay. And people shooting those dinosaurs. All right. And is that that might be Bumblebee on the cover? Okay. I cannot tell. All right. We'll figure it out later. Ooh. You actually, I think you actually bought I something bought, from this uh, Nottingham yeah, number I bought, three. I bought number one. Oh, nice. Or a uh, or, uh, free comic day or promo thing of number one. Escape from Wyoming <laughs> number three. <laughs> Did I make this title? Um, Escape from Wyoming, number three. I think that's the goal of everyone who lives in Wyoming. Quested, number one. Okay. 
this is interesting. I might read it after. Ooh, Spider-Man Noir, number one. Oh, cool. I can't tell if this is a very... I don't know which one. I don't know. Are they're per, these are pretty recent comics, so this is not like we're getting anything like really, really valuable here. You're telling me we're not going to find Secret Wars issue 27 or whatever it is? That's eight. like... Eight. Okay. Eight is the one with the spider Oh, yeah. It's $127. That's yeah, yeah. what I'm supposed to be. Uh, Void Rivals, number one. Uh, Star, number okay. two, from Marvel. Scarlet Witch is on the cover. Ooh, um, Hit Girl, issue one, and it's a variant edition that is a sketch. Blank. Oh, a blank sketch yeah. cover. Oh, that's so cool. if you ever meet Mark Miller or John Romita Jr. Not likely. You can but, get a sketch. Yeah. Um, Search for Who, I think I'm pronouncing that right, um, H-U, number three. It's okay. a hefty stack of comics. Bitter Root, number six. Okay. It was nominated Best New Series of 2019 by Entertainment Weekly. Nice. So, forward to that. Skull Kickers, A Dozen Cousins and a Crumpled Crown, Part 3. From Image Comics. There's a dwarf on the cover. Tell me if I'm going a bit too slow. No, you're good. Yes. Good, good boy. I, I saw the booth for this. The guy at the booth also had a um, series called, uh, it was called like something about, I think it was like Postmen or something like that. And it looked really interesting from the like poster he had, but his booth was always mobbed. So I didn't want to walk over uh, there okay. just to see if he had a trade and then walk away. Um, so good boy number three. Uh, the Lot, 2021, with the world number two. Also from Bad Idea Comics, Odin's Eye, number three. Okay. X Men, um, with the weird sci fi X that they've been doing recently. X Men 1 from Marvel. Okay, that's a fairly recent one. There's a bonus digital edition inside if you want that. Strange Adventures, Amazing Science Fiction, question mark. 12 of 12. Okay. I think it's 12 of 12. Is that the trade? That's another comic. Wow, there are a lot of comics in here. (laughs) I have this comic. Uh, No, Amazing Spider-Man number 76, uh, Beyond Chapter 2. The Beyond Saga is really good. And then this is the trade, uh, The Dark Side War, Power of the Gods. All right. Anything else in there? Just wrapping paper. So no gift certificate. No gift certificate. Uh, Sorry about that. Uh, Well, you got a cool trade out of that. Yeah, I did get a cool trade. I got some pretty, that'll some pretty cool comics, and if I add up the value, I think the um, I it paid for itself and probably just a trade paperback. Yeah. So that's, that's my mystery box. I'll have photos of like what I got, what I got signed, and all that on the show notes and stuff. And that is it. So this is our. I don't know how many years we've been doing this. It's been a long time, but next year, next year you're a senior in high school, so next year it might be your last year for a while so we might end up getting like the VIP pass and going almost all day or just yeah. trying to trying to do it up a little bit more um, I don't know if I do a multi-day thing I don't have I don't know if I have the money yeah to do the multi-day I'm just like I think I'd have to like go with friends to do the multi-day yeah. as well you know well, you know not that I don't enjoy no I know I know but yeah so like I need like a big yeah but I think it would be cool to like get it to get an early and then um then you can spend some time because I did find myself rushing 
through Alice Artist Alley. Because I, I did spend a lot of time at the beginning of the convention standing in line for signatures. And so it was the exact And I knew I was going to do that. So I think, um, but I, you know, I, I, that was kind of my, that was my, I knew I was going to, this is what I was going to do. So, um, all right. So, well, thank you for coming. Thanks for taking me. Uh, and we are skipping Krispy Kreme for the first time in a very long time because uh, we left a little later than usual. Because we were having so much we're fun. Gonna get home to go to Sorry. We're going to get home to go to dinner uh, or to, to eat dinner. So, uh, and traffic is good and then it's bad. So we're going to we're gonna make sure we navigate this Baltimore, D.C. We're, we're almost to D.C. D.C. traffic. So um, I will be back my next segment in just a moment. Stick around. My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a back to the men's taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty. Do I need to mine or am I good where I'm at? Well, now you do. <laughs> if I have mine you have to it you might want to only if you do have it set to automatically because you don't want it to automatically because the thing never works right because what will happen is it'll be used to you at a particular time and then if you go out of that it scrambles to uh a and it doesn't fast enough so it's better to just set it up oh, okay it, it really doesn't work well so i checked right. uh i checked my uh mm-hmm. well my pro- it definitely built build me for the hotel for all three of us. Join Back to the Bins every week for goodness. Solomon Grundy hate voiceovers. Brett, it's going to be a senior in high school. It's been going, they've been going to this so much that they were like six or seven when they first went, I think, and were like a little kid, and now they're going to be 17. So next year, I promise that we are going to get VIP tickets. Yeah, they're, they're expensive, like 150 it's 175 bucks a ticket, and you get like a bunch of swag. You get into the con a half an hour early. You get a badge. It's pretty cool. And I've always kind of wanted to do that. I thought of doing a multi-day thing with the convention. But I just don't have. I don't have the. Like, what am I going to do? So we'll get in a half hour early. We'll take our time. We'll, we'll plunk down the money. Like it's going to be your senior year of high school. One of the last times you'll be able to do this because you probably will be away at college when I do it in. 2025 next year is also the 25th anniversary of the convention so the swag will be probably pretty good and next year i am going to try to limit the things i'm going to get signed i'm going to take out more cash so i have a ton of it and really going to be full on comics and trades i might actually buy a new backpack for it and i'm going to try to make it feel like less of a whirlwind one of the regrets i have this year is that i didn't run into anybody Usually there's like four or five people I follow on Twitter or who I know through Facebook and Twitter or the podcasting community that are there. And I try to find them or meet up for them. And I was just, I, after the Claremont thing, I was just, it was just like, it was a pinball going across this convention floor. And that's happened. Um, part of it is my anxiety or my wanting to do things or my rushing. It's, but I got to the point where like, I kind of regretted not seeing anybody. So I'm going to try to make a concerted effort to do that and maybe slow things down a little bit next year. But um, it was a great convention. It's always been a great convention. The staff is amazing. Uh, the, the, 
the way it's laid out is great. They really pay attention to comics um, with bringing the creators in. And I'm really, really fortunate to be able to go to this every year. And it's really been fun. So thanks again for coming along and listening to my just kind of brief recap here over the course of just under an hour of the Baltimore Comic-Con. Next time around, I'm going to, if things work out the way they should, I'm going to have my third of my trilogy of nostalgia-centered movies, The Big Chill, and I plan on having Michael Bailey along with me for that. So hopefully that will be out in November, and then I will, um, I'm hoping to line up another guest for a special episode in December as well. So until then, thank you very much for listening, and take care. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, which is produced by me, Tom Panneries. All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This podcast is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you can find at twotruefreaks.com. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps the show get noticed by other people. Feedback via email can be sent to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. For show notes and essays and other things random in the world of popular culture, visit popcultureaffidavit.com. You can also follow this show on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit and on Twitter at popaff, that's P-O-P-A-F-F. Thanks for listening and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.